With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. This is Ed McGrogan with Steve Tigner here uh, to discuss quite a bit, actually, in the world of tennis, most notably Andy Murray claiming his place for the first time in his career as the number one player in the world, doing so, uh, I believe, at the age of 29, and I'm I want to say that it was one of the uh, the oldest, if not the oldest player, or since I think John Newcomb perhaps to assume number one for the first time. Um, but you know, regardless, this is really to me the culmination of I think a career that even in the history books is is always going to be overshadowed by the players around him. I, I'm very happy for Murray that he achieved this with that in mind because I think you know he's been the ultimate can't can't win player in terms of the public perception of of Murray I think as time has gone on I think more people have 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 realized you know that he is you know he is in line with his contemporaries here I think this is really the this should be I think the final stamp on that and I I just think it's well deserved especially when you consider you know, if we're talking the the micro view about this this amazing run he's been on since this summer, it's well deserved, and he and you know he's earned it full on. Uh, what are your thoughts on Murray finally you know climbing this milestone? Yeah, I think it's <clears throat> I think it's a a bigger deal maybe than people even think of. If it, you know if you haven't been paying close attention the last few years, there was a time when being number one um, did you know what. It didn't mean quite as much because it went back and forth between people a fair amount. Carlos Moya was number one for one week. This is different because um, it's been 12 years. There's only been three players who have been number one in that time: Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, and now Murray. And now, really, you know, anybody who questioned whether he was in the Big Four, I think this is another, you know, this is another sort of, you know, another reason to to believe he does belong there. And really, I think cements his his place there, you know, if he stays there for a little while, but I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I, I did mention that, uh, I, I had, I felt it was the right time to really sort of remind into the people that, and that's another sort of discussion point of his is, you know, why are you looping Murray into, you know, this historically elite group? But I, I, I think the argument's got to be over by now. Yeah. I think he belongs, you know, he didn't, he, Anytime I think you become number one, you can't back into it. It's not about winning one match. It's not about any any kind of fluke. It takes a year. It's a year's worth of of work. Um, he's done it with, you know, in the middle of Djokovic's prime. He's done it in this era with Federer and Nadal. He did it 
these last six months with winning, you know, he won Wimbledon, he won the Olympics, which didn't even count for his number one. Um, he's won eight titles this year, has been to 11 finals, um, in, you know, I think in the last 12 tournaments. So, so I think this, this changes and I think should change our view of him. You know, he was, he's, he first became number two in 2009. You know, so you sort of thought he was he was a lifetime number two. Seven years later, he was still number two, but now to to become number one, it's it's, it's a big deal. And even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't continue there, it's possible he could lose it in two weeks, which which would be a bummer for him. But but even if he doesn't, you know, you you can never take that away from him. You can't back into number one unless you are given a walkover in the match you have to win to get to number one. Yeah, there. That's, he, yeah that was that's, unfortunate. That's maybe the one exception that. And thinking back to Murray, kind of his his career, really, it's it, it's been kind of a. In 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 one hand, Murray has gone through quite a bit of change on the coaching side. I think I think everything away from his game on the court, a lot of it has really evolved and fluctuated. He you know he's had he's worked with Yvonne Lendl, he's worked with Moresmo, he's worked with with a number of different. Um, He's really tried to find every tool in the shed that can that could really keep pace and, and defeat Federer's, Nadal, Djokovic, the guys that have have been in his way for so long, and he's he's really kept at that for years and years. It, it, it as, as consistent as he has been, and I think this is a you know the number one ranking, a great measure of consistency, of course. Um, Murray's career. Even after in 2012 winning Wimbledon and, and really kind of announcing that this is going to be a, a player that is clearly a factor in the game, you know, he still had that lull after 2012 and and, and has only I think only recently kind of dug himself out of it. And um, you know, to me, I think that's one thing when we look on the the legacy of Andy Murray that we're going to remember is a guy who is a player who just refused um, by any means to kind of give in to maybe what you thought he was capable of given his style of play and just the competition around him. Yeah, you know, he's he, like you said, he worked with Lendl, and then that kind of made him more aggressive, made his forehand better. Then he worked with Moresmo, very different. He became a more, I think, a more polished player, more consistent. He started to win on clay for the first time after 10 years of not really living up his, to his potential. On that surface, um, he's kind of you know built it brick by brick. His career, I think he's even said that he's he's the the good thing about his career is he said is he's he's kept getting a little better even within all the tough losses. You know there was always a sort of slow move, uh, slow step upward. I think one thing that made it tough for him is unlike those other three guys, um, he didn't have the big shot. He doesn't have the big you know, the unbeatable serve or the big forehand, like those guys can all sort of gear their games around that. And that's what, you know, what really has worked in, in men's tennis. Murray never had that. He sort of had to find another way to win, um, another various ways to win. Uh, and, you know, I think that's what has, that's one thing that's taken him a lot longer. And and it's impressive that he's found a way, a different sort of way to win from those other guys. You know, and, and go, like you said, Murray may, end up not even uh, finishing the year number one. The momentum is clearly on his side. He ended up winning the Paris Masters um, right after 
securing number one this week, and he he goes into London. Uh, you know, fittingly, what a place to to end the year as well. And um, given the way the points are, him and Djokovic may end up facing off in a match. You know, if they were both to make the final, for example, for the year in number one ranking, that's very much in play. You uh, the tour gets really a, a nice little boost for their for their event here, uh, for their year end event. Going into this year, you look at Murray uh, claiming number one on the men's side, and that was not even a thought five months into the season two after yet another torrid start by uh, Djokovic. And WTA side, you have another player who ends up winning, uh, ends up being the year-end number one that I think surprised just as many people, perhaps even more. That's Anjali Kerber. You know, last week we... um, she had finished runner-up at the WTA Finals, but far and away the number one player in the world this year. I mean, looking back on these two years already, I mean, which is kind of more of a, a, a bit of a, a surprise to you? Well, I think at the start of the year, you'd have to say Kerber. I I remember the two of us talking at the end of last year, how Murray, you know, Murray winning the Davis Cup, could that launch him up to number one? And and you know, I don't think that directly was a reason, but he was at least in the conversation of becoming number one. Kerber, before the Australian Open, she really wasn't, I don't think she was even in that conversation. We knew her as a good player, top 10 player. But number one, that was that was definitely, that would have seemed out of the question. She's about the same, you know, otherwise the story is, there are similarities. She's a year younger than Murray at, at 28, one of the oldest players to become number one for the first time. She's more of a steady defensive player. Um, took her, I think, a long time to, to have the confidence and maybe to even figure out exactly how to play without the big weapons, you know, in a similar way to Murray. And she also overcame somebody who I think most people thought would be number one for, for as long as she wanted to be Serena, you know, Murray overcame Djokovic, Kerber overcame Serena, which I think seemed really unlikely. Um, and that, I, and I think that was good for tennis in a way to have them challenge after the, extreme the domination of those two the previous year to have these two come along sort of um you know not somewhat out of nowhere with different games different styles different personalities um i think that was you know i think that that seeing somebody new like that was was good for the game yeah and what i think in both cases on both tours we're really left with Looking ahead to 2017, um, with a lot more uncertainty than we than we've looked ahead to previous years. Here, oh, we have uh, some guests here on the podcast. But speaking of unpredictability, yes, exactly. Hey, pardon me there. So, as I was saying before, I was interrupted here. We, uh, you know, we have we have what I would what I would classify as. A year, certainly, that we're not going to know, you know, going into this year with Djokovic and Serena, um, I I think we knew what we were getting into at the start of this year, even in Serena's case after that crushing open loss to Vinci, but but we we don't know exactly how Kerber and Murray will respond to, uh, you know, this level of acclaim and success here, and I think... As we look ahead to 2017, it's really, I think, presents opportunities for really a lot more players than usual. I think with Djokovic and Serena, perhaps beforehand, you were you were looking for 
you know, will Murray finally kind of answer the call here? And I think obviously he has, and and it's a great way to I think set up the new the new season for tennis. But we'll get to that, you know, as the uh, the year physically actually winds down. I did want to touch on John Isner, uh, who I made mention of Murray winning Paris. He beat Isner in the final in three sets. Um, Paris also a very strong tournament for Jack Sock as well. Two Americans. And, you know, I, I, the way I thought about these two guys is, did they get the last, really the last laugh out of this whole year? We, we've we really kind of built them up and kind of knocked them down after some, you know, really some high expectations for both men. I can say that for myself. I've talked to both guys, written stories about both men and have been left wanting often, but you know, t- to end the year this way, both in the top 25, um, I don't think you can dispute that in, in either case, this has really been one of their best years to this point. I, you know, just as we've talked about where the season go, where, where things go next on tours, I kind of wonder where it goes for these two also. Yeah. I think Isner, you know, he, you know, he, he hit him being 30. I think this was just a great sort of week maybe a proof that he's still a factor um got him back into the top 20 to to play that well at the end of the year he's never i don't think he's ever really had a big run at the end of the year you know especially outside of the u.s he's 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 struggled a lot and to to put it together in paris um late in the season maybe when he's looking forward to the to the end of the year that was a you know that was a good piece of work good 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 run from him i think i feel like stock at the end of the year he's you know six seven years younger than isner that could mean more for something for the future for sock he you know he is sort of the guy who he's the young guy who hasn't been quite as good as some of the other young guys we've seen hasn't been quite as gotten as much attention or you know somebody like dominic team dominic team or Alexander Zverev, Sock isn't quite on, hasn't been quite on their, quite on the radar in the way that they have. But he almost ended the year st- looking stronger than they did. He had a he had a good run since the U.S. Open, made the semis of this tournament, beat Team badly, beat Zverev, beat Raonic, a guy he's struggled to beat. Um, you sort of look at him now. I f- look at him now a little differently. Um, I feel like if he can concentrate, you know, focus. Um, those kind of things. He has the game. He has the physical skills as much as any of those guys, maybe more, you know, with his forehand, his speed, his serve. He's got a game, you know, you, I, from after this sort of run, I could see him, you know, you can see him in the semifinals of Grand Slams. He's got that, he's got that ability. I think it's a, a sort of a matter of belief and concentration, confidence uh, that, that would, that would need to improve. But, um, you know, skills wise, he's got as much as anybody. It's it, it's funny that you say like about uh, about Europe and them because I, you know on the one hand, uh, Europe has always been the quagmire for U.S. players, but it's this time of year where we're talking about faster indoor surfaces where it is somewhat surprising that we haven't seen um, you know prior success from you know massive servers like Isner, for example. I, I think. A part of it is is the season taking its toll on on them. It's just such a, a long year, um, but it, it, you know, based on when these players can can peak, you know, they're 
you know, Isner and Sock have, I think, long will agree that their favorite times of the year are in the summer when it's in North America, and you move somewhat quickly onto um, on back onto faster hard courts here, um, you know, to kind of capitalize on that and to maybe take advantage of somewhat depleted and you know fields, you know, that's to say nothing. That's not to diminish anything about advancing to pretty late stages of a masters tournament here. Um, that is a, it's nothing that I think that should be overlooked. And I think that's a good point you make on, uh, on both those two. We'll see kind of where sock positions himself going into next year. Um, a guy who, you know, he's, he's now at a, a full, a full year and a half or so, uh, with coach Troy Han there. They, they've really kind of, uh, now they've gotten away from I think the doubles that was really characterizing Sock for a long time. He was um, he had that famous sort of run with Vashik Pospisil, and I think he's now making a more concerted effort towards just singles play, which I, I think is the right move, of course, for someone of his skill level. So I think saying that and seeing how he can continue to develop. Um, you know the backhand is is always going to be, and it's a, it, the same can be said for Isner. It's really you know what those two bring on their biggest shots. It's going to be can they shore them up enough, or hit around them enough to kind of sustain against you know the, the players that they're going to face in the later rounds of tournaments. Yeah, I think Sock needs to take you know take this take from this that he can contend at big tournaments at at majors. Um, he's a guy who's had some big you know shown a, the ability to have some big wins. He, he destroyed Marin Chilich at the U.S. Open. He can do that to people. He beat Team Badly in Paris. Um, I think it's a matter of him, you know, really believing that that's possible for him at any event, and and I think it is. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see where that takes him early next year. Let's close on the uh, World Tour Finals. The groups were announced today, um, and you mentioned Dominic Team. He uh, he will head up. What I would, you know, what you could say, I think you have to consider it almost by far the weaker of the two groups. This is this year they've gone with groups John McEnroe and Yvonne Lendl, and uh, you have Djokovic heading up the uh, that group, the Lendl group. Um, oddly enough, Murray not in that group there, but uh, Djokovic Raonic, who may not play at all, uh, he may uh, be be saying. Bidding his year uh, goodbye with a with an injury. Monfils first time qualifier, team first time qualifier, and uh, you compare that to the uh, McEnroe group with Murray, Vavrinka, Nishikori, and Chilich. It's it it does look quite lopsided from that perspective. Uh, any sort of initial thoughts on maybe not even just the you know the minutia of group play because I think you'll get into that more in your full preview on Friday, but. Just any thoughts about you know really any of the players at uh, you know at the O2 here? Well, I think it's interesting, Djokovic. To start with, Djokovic, um, you know, how does he feel now? He's, I feel like, you know, he, like he said, he'd been a little burned out through the second half of the year, or a lot burned out. I think part of that must have been the amount of time he spent at number one. It's not that's not necessarily easy. He'd been there for 122 weeks um, to continue to sort of defend to be the guy who's everybody's chasing down. Uh, is he going to, will he react well? Will this give him a little end of the year boost to be the, to be number two? 
to be the guy who's who's chasing Murray, who has something to gain from this tournament. It's, he's never, he hasn't had anything to gain in any tournament in it seems like years. Here's here's a chance for him to reclaim the year-end number one, to kind of reassert himself over Murray. Well, you know, how will he react to that possibility? Will that finally get him out of his this kind of funk he's been in? You know, that's a first. Um, and you know, like you said, he has he definitely has the the easier group. Um, Someone I've been looking at, I think just, you know, we haven't mentioned him at all on this podcast, is Stan Vavrinka. And, you know, the again, kind of forgotten Stan in some ways. You know, another salts away another major title this year. And I, I have to think that, you know, you always do wonder kind of about motivation when it comes to the year-end events. I don't think this one lacks for it at all for a lot of reasons, primarily because all the top players have so much to play for with Murray and Djokovic, um, you know, with the ranking at stake there. But I think I, I would have to think that Stan, if he was able to steal, you know, to, to take yet another significant event here uh, to end the year, it would have to, I mean, certainly it doesn't compare with a Grand Slam title, but to, to kind of have that sort of added stamp validation on the career to get through, to get through a, a full round robin of, of, of this caliber player um, would be one of his career highlights. I do look forward to seeing what Ravrinka brings to this tournament. Yeah, this should be a, you know, a good, a stand type of tournament, big play, big names, uh, the big stage. He, you know, he loves the slams. He tends not to do as well away from the slams. He can beat the top players. It's almost as if he's better against when he's, when he's playing the top players these days. than he is when he's not, you know, this will be all top guys. He's, Almost reached the final of this tournament a couple of years ago. He had match points on Federer, played in a great match, um, and he can beat Murray. You know, we've seen him beat Murray a lot. So, or in, in you know, in in big tournaments at various places. So yeah, he's somebody. He's somebody to look forward to. Look forward to sort of. You know, if there's somebody who's going to come out of nowhere, that's you know, that's the the most likely. And you're going to get, of course, that you're going to get. Monfils on full spotlight here. You're going to get him for multiple matches guaranteed. Um, you know this is a, a, this is the ultimate showman of the tour. This is someone who who embraces the stage, except many people would contend, except for this year's uh, U.S. Open semifinal, where it just kind of all went askew, and he's really been, I think, pretty pretty harshly uh, reprimanded for that since, in in the eyes of many. But I think. I think Monfils has to similarly really embrace this moment here. Um, you know, this is probably going to be certainly not a guarantee he ever gets back here again. Yeah, I think the ATP has to be happy that he's there. You know, you have no Federer, no Rafa. Um, Monfils is a is a showcase player. He's a you know he's a he's a draw. They can use that. It's not this isn't the strongest year as far as stars go at this tournament. He he brings that. It'll be fun to see how he reacts to that atmosphere and to being playing in a round robin. I'm sure that'll bring out, uh, you know, some of the showman in him. If somebody who doesn't need to win every match, we'll <laughs> yes. see how see how he ends up playing that. Exactly. Yep. Um, like I said, full preview Friday from Steve on the World Tour Finals here, um, and uh, that's where we're going to really wrap up the season and uh, by with Fed Cup and Davis Cup finals to truly round it out as well. So 
Um, we'll touch on that next time here on the Tennis.com podcast. For Ed McGrogan and Steve Tigner, uh, thank you for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.